morning, good morning, good morning. Good morning, good morning, good morning. Good morning, good morning. Can you hear me? I can't hear myself, so I don't know if you can hear me or not. But Oh, good, okay. Guys, if you can work on a little bit then in the monitors, that would be awesome. Thank you so much. It's great to see you. Thank you for worshiping with us. And uh, I'm just excited about opening. Are you ready for the word this morning? Amen. I feel like you are. Thank God for our worship team and just an incredible time in God's presence. I'm so grateful for them. And uh, want to just say, I know Pastor Sango mentioned uh, Pastor Kathy greeting you. She's home today with a granddaughter who's home from college, Brooklyn. Her granddaughter is home from college and is Brooklyn is not well. She is sick. And so Pastor Kathy's taking care of her and, and, uh, and also just didn't, didn't want to uh, being exposed to her to, to be here. And so we understand that, but I know she's watching online. So she just sends her greetings to you today. If you have your Bibles, we're going to continue in our series on re. And so uh, if you haven't been with us uh, for the next several weeks on into the next month, we'll be talking out of this prefix re. And it's just an apt word and it's a biblical prefix because so much of what God does in our lives begins with those two little letters, re. Somebody just shout re. Re. So the reason that re is good news, the reason that re is a a word that is so closely associated with Jesus and the gospel is because... How many of you know God knows your story? He knows exactly where you are. And that means he knows that there's going to be things that need to be redone in your life. Amen. I got three amens right there. So um, this morning, we, last week, if you weren't here, we talked about renewal. And, um, and we looked at the ways that God brings renewal about in our life. Today, I want you to turn with me to Luke chapter 9. And we're going to talk about a radical reorientation, a radical reorientation today. Luke chapter 9 and verse number 32. I want you to focus on verse number 32 this morning with me. I'm going to read a few verses after that so that you understand what's going on in the passage. But verse number 32, I believe, is going to speak to us to you, and uh, let's get ready to receive the word. Luke chapter 9 and verse number 32, but Peter and those with him were heavy with sleep, and when they were fully awake, they saw his glory and the two men who stood with him. I'm going to read that again. And I want you to do something when you read the Bible, when you read this verse. So it says, but Peter, and then it says, and those who were with him. When the Bible says things like, and those who were with him, one of the things you need to learn to do is to put yourself in that phrase. So I am with Peter in this passage. So look at your neighbor and say, you're one of those that were with him. Just tell him that. You may not know that, but you're, you're one. he's talking about you. Peter and those who were with him were heavy with sleep. And when they were fully awake, they saw his glory 
and the two men who stood with him. And then it happened as they were parting from him that Peter said to Jesus, Master, it is good for us to be here. And let us make three tabernacles, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah, not knowing what he said. How many of you know if it's, the, it's bad when the Bible has to make a comment on what you said to let everybody know you didn't know what you were talking about? That's, that's not a good situation. While he was saying this, a cloud came over and overshadowed them, and they were fearful as they entered the cloud. And a voice came out of the cloud saying, this is my beloved son, hear him. And when the voice had ceased, Jesus was found alone, but they kept quiet and told no one in those days any of the things that they had seen. A radical reorientation. Lord, we sang this morning that we're hungry for you and that we long for you and that we're desperate for you. We, we sang to you, Jesus, and we said, we need you. And we want that cry to remain in our hearts. We want you to hear it. And Lord, that is the cry of our hearts for this moment. We need you to speak to us. We need you to help us. We need you to guide us and lead us. So Lord, I need you today. Help me to articulate your words and your heart to your people today. These are your people in this sanctuary and online. Speak to them, Lord. I pray with them, Lord, that you give us open hearts and open ears to hear your word to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Of all of the characters in the Gospels in the New Testament, Peter is the easiest to identify with. Peter gets put on display by the gospel stories as the one who's always getting it wrong. Peter is always saying things he shouldn't say. He's always getting rebuked and corrected. And how many of you know that it's really encouraging just to have somebody like Peter in your life? Aren't you grateful for the people who always just speak first and think later? because you could kind of hide behind them. I imagine the other 11 disciples were so grateful for Peter because Jesus was constantly having to address him and correct him. And they could all just be, they could be back behind Peter saying, I was thinking what Peter said. I just didn't say it. Y'all doing all right? And so Peter for us equally is someone who is uh, on display in this passage in a remarkable way. In fact, it's the only time in all of Scripture I'm aware of that God, the Creator, spoke from a cloud audibly and interrupted someone and basically said, Peter, stop talking. I want to talk now. That's essentially what's happening in this passage. Peter is making a proposal. He's saying, I have an idea. I have a plan. I have a vision. This is a great moment. Here's what we should do. And God, the creator God from heaven, issues a cloud of glory, drops it down on everyone, and says implicitly, Peter, shut up. This is my son. Listen to him. 
You say, what does that have to do for me and for you? Well, I would just suggest that there might be times you may not get a cloud of glory, you may not get a thunderous voice from heaven, but all the same, the word of the Lord to me and to you oftentimes when we just can't stop babbling about what we think should happen ought to be to us, just be quiet and listen for Jesus' voice. You're trying to fill the awkward moment that you're living in, the silent moment of confusion that you don't understand. You're filling it up with your words and your ideas and your thoughts about what should or should not happen. And you're repeating bunches of nonsense that you found from various places and different voices. And the word from heaven is just, could you just please be quiet? quiet for a moment and give Jesus an opportunity to speak into your life and into this moment. So Peter and James and John have been invited up to the mountain. So they are in the elite disciple club. They, there's 12 disciples. They are all traveling with Jesus. Nine get left at the foot of the mountain. Peter, James, and John go up to the top of the mountain. And there on Mount Tabor, Jesus is transfigured before them. So, I mean, he is glorified. The Bible says his clothes shone with a, a light that was brighter than, than white. And, and it's Raymond. So he's just, they get to see this thing. And then, and then here's Moses and Elijah appearing in a cloud of glory, having a chit chat with Jesus. So here's Jesus, Moses, Elijah, and, the, and Luke even tells us they were talking about his exodus. They were talking about his decease. They were talking about what was going to happen in Jerusalem. But Peter, James, and John are down here, and all they see is this glorious moment, Jesus talking, and then, get this, you've got to read the Bible and pay attention. Are you ready? Now what's the next thing we read? They're heavy asleep. How are you sleeping in a moment like that, like heavy asleep? Luke didn't say they they nodded off. They are heavy asleep. My wife tells me that's the only way I know how to sleep. Like I don't know what light sleep is. They are heavy asleep. And then watch this. When they awaken, then the verse tells us they see Jesus in his glory, right? And so this picture of Peter, James, and John in this moment, I want you to just embrace the idea that this could become a prophetic picture of the moment that many of us are living in right now. So that means that We have three people who've been on a journey with Jesus. We have three Christ followers. We have three people who've been following Jesus and they've been on a journey with him and he invites them to a high place of experience with him. And that high place of experience with him leads them into, are you ready for this? It leads them into confusion. It leads them into a a lack of understanding of what's going on. In fact, one commentator makes the observation that particularly in the Gospel of Mark, the disciples are following Jesus around 
and almost without fail, they have absolutely no clue what's going on. They misunderstand everything. Jesus says this, they think he means that. Jesus does this, they suggest he does that. He says that's a terrible idea. And I want to encourage you this morning that according to the gospels, it's okay to be on journey with Jesus and getting it wrong. It's okay. Can we just set everybody in church free that you don't have to be right all the time? Can we just set everybody in culture free that it's really okay to say, I was wrong about that? It doesn't mean that you're a delinquent disciple. It doesn't mean that you're an immature saint. It might mean that you're walking closely with Jesus because Jesus is always launching into new places and new territories and new dimensions of glory. And if you're real familiar, that might be a sign that you're missing it. Maybe the sign of the mature is the sign of the people who don't fully know what's going on, who don't fully understand the moment that they're in. I want to give everybody in the building and everybody online, I want to give you a license today. If I could have, I'd have printed it out and laminated it for you. Just a license to say, I don't know. I'm going to set you free this morning just to be able to say, I don't know about that. You know, what do you think about this? Or what do you think about that? What do you think God's doing? Or why do you think that's how? I don't know. I don't know. Here's what I, I don't know about that. I'm not sure about that. I don't understand that. I'm very confused, in fact. But I'll tell you what I am doing. I'm looking for Jesus right now. I'm still following Jesus. I may look lost. I may look confused. I may look disoriented. But I'm looking for Jesus in this moment because I know that it may be true that I can't find him but what I am most certain of is that he has not left me and it is a sign of a mature disciple when they can come to the place to say, I can't find him, but I know he didn't leave me. So what that means is I just have to keep looking for him until I find him in this moment. Old Testament scholar Walter Brueggemann describes this process like this. I'm going to have him put it on the screen for you. He said, we move from orientation to disorientation to reorientation. Now, I want you to just, just really, let me, let me just teach you for a little bit. Orientation, disorientation, reorientation. Let me just describe it to you like this. Have you ever uh, walked out of um, the bright sunlight and into a room, and in the room it was dark and there were no lights on. So you're out in the bright sunlight, your pupils are, are uh, not dilated, they are just receiving the sunlight. You walk into a dark room, and what do you do when you walk into a dark room from bright sunlight? You stop, and you, and you slow down, and you start walking like this. And then slowly, there's a little bit of light in that room, but you didn't know where it was, like one of those little windows back there. And it's just you, your eyes find that light, and they start, to, they start to use as much of that light as you can, and your eyes start to adjust. But then how many of you know that uh, that's called disorientation? You don't know what's going on. You're confused. It's dark. You don't know what to do. But what if somebody just flipped the lights on all of a sudden? Bam, flipped them on. Now you're in, now you're in a season of reorientation. So, man, I'm going to reorient to this monitor right here in a minute. <laughs> Me and this monitor are about to have a fight right here in front of y'all. y'all don't, yeah. Reorientation is when I've come out of something that I was familiar and comfortable with. I've entered into a 
season of confusion and uncertainty, but if I stay in that uncertainty long enough, my, my natural body tells me how this works. My brain, my eyes, my senses, everything has an ability to recalibrate itself to an unfamiliar situation. If your natural body has an ability to do that, how much more does your spirit and the Holy Spirit on the inside of you, when you step into a confusing moment, have the ability to begin recalibrating and looking for the light in a dark room? When I walk into a dark room, my eyes start looking for light. And if there's the tiniest light in that room, my eyes will spot it. I don't have to think about it. I don't have to try to do it. They just are drawn to the light. And your spirit is the same way. In fact, the Bible says the spirit of a man is the candle of the Lord. And the problem that we have is that we as a society over the last two years have been thrown into a very confusing, a very disorienting moment, a very moment when no one has answers, even to the people that are supposed to have answers. And what we need as Christians is an ability to sit in a dark and confusing moment and say, y'all can freak out if you want to, but I'm waiting for the light to show up in this moment. I don't have to utter a hypothesis or a theory or figure something out or call someone stupid. I know that Jesus is leading me and he is leading me into light. And if we wait long enough, the light will show up. And I'm looking for some Christians at the Gate Church who are willing to say, you know what, let's ask Jesus what he has to say in this moment. And if he takes a moment to say it, we're going to be okay. I want you to think about this with me. Peter's suggestion is revelatory for us because Peter does in a confusing moment what we're all tempted to do. And here's what Peter does. He says, I don't know what to do right now. I'm very confused. Let's build three tabernacles. Where'd you get that idea from, Peter? From the Old Testament. That's what God used to be doing. And what we all do when we're in confusing moments is we reach back for something that we're comfortable with that we know that God used to be doing. But the fact of the matter is God wasn't doing that anymore. God was trying to introduce them into something new. But in order for God to introduce you into something new, he's got to get you out of something old. And if you keep retreating to the old, God can never get you into the new. But the place in between the old and the new is always a place of confusing disorientation. Did you hear what I just said? The place between the old and the new is always a place of confusing disorientation. If you're a trapeze artist, you have to learn how to live with that three or two or half seconds between one trapeze and the next. Amen. I'm talking to some people who've been living in a moment. I'm talking to myself. I'm preaching to the mirror. I don't know whether my daughter's going to have school on Tuesday or not. I don't know what's going on. I have no plan for my life. I am in a perpetual state. I don't know whether Panera will be open or closed. I don't know whether I can get drugs at the pharmacy or not. I don't know what is up and what is down. But you know what I do know? I know that Jesus is watching over my life, that Jesus promised to never leave me nor forsake me, that Jesus is my master, my savior, and if I will commit myself to keep seeking him, he will faithfully lead me, guide me, protect me, provide for me, heal me, restore me, do everything he wants to do in my life. 
Do you want some good news? Your future is not dependent on the government making good decisions. Your future's not dependent on your boss making the right decisions. Your future's not dependent on a school district making the right decisions. Your future is dependent upon a king who is on a throne in heaven. He was slain. He is risen. And he'll never die again. You are a disciple. You are a disciple. You are a person who has committed yourself to following Jesus. And if we learn anything from Peter, James, and John, following Jesus is going to require us to go through confusing seasons that require us, watch this, to unlearn and relearn. So Peter's in a moment of unlearning. Peter is unlearning that we don't do things in the three tabernacle way anymore. Peter's learning that God wants Peter to shut up and let Jesus speak and introduce him into something new. So if we don't learn, watch this, disorientation is always the pathway from the old to the new, and unlearning is the key that unlocks the door to fresh revelation. So I want to challenge you this morning because if you're in, if, if this is a way that the kingdom of God is counterintuitive. So when you were in school and you were in eighth grade, ninth grade, 10th grade, 11th grade, the way that you advance is by acquiring more information. You learn more about algebra. You learn more about, you know, geometry. You learn more about pre-calculus. You learned and you gained information and you advanced by gaining information. That's called learning. Learning is a good thing. I want to go on record for that, all right? But in the kingdom of God, our ability to grow to new levels of maturity is more often tied to our ability to unlearn than it is to our ability to learn. So Peter, James, and John are having a hard time because they can't unlearn what they thought God was doing. So they have to learn how to reorient their themselves. Now, the word orient, I want to just, I want to just unpack that word for you because I was sharing this with my wife as I do, and uh, I was preaching to her uh, before I preached to you. And the word orient is a Latin word, and when you think of the word orient, what do you think of? The, oh my gosh, somebody said express. God bless you. Ah, that was a good answer, but it was wrong. Let's unlearn that and let's try. Thank you. There's nothing wrong with the Orient Express. I wanted you to say the East, right? The Orient is associated with the East. It is the land of the rising sun. It is where the, the Orient is the East. And the reason that it is the East is that, that Orient is associated with the East is because the Latin word Orient has a root word Oriri, I just learned this this morning, and it is literally the Latin word that just means rise. 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 So when I get good, and this is my prayer for you this morning, is I want to help you get good at reorienting. Because the more I get good at reorienting, the more I position myself for God to be able to raise me up. Now, if you want to use real scriptural language for this, it goes like this. It doesn't go orientation, disorientation, 
reorientation, it goes death, burial, resurrection. So, so that means that we have a season where something is alive, that's, we're oriented to what's alive, and then we go into disorientation, which is death, and then burial are confusing. But watch this, to reorient is actually to position yourself to rise again. Are you with me? What does that have to do with me and my family? Well, I just want to encourage you because me and my family are tired of being in a season of confusing disorientation. But I got encouraged this week by the Holy Spirit to understand that if I'll trust Him, He's actually repositioning me so that I can rise again. And if I will learn how to find Him in the confusing, muddled mess of my present moment, He will get in there with me and it will lead to a re-rising of my life so that I will rise out of the sleep that I'm in. Peter, James, and John are in a heavy sleep, but when they finally awake, they see Jesus in a greater dimension of glory than they've ever seen Him before. If they had not gone through the disorientation, they would have only known Jesus as a miracle worker and a healer and a great teacher, but on the mountain they got confused. But after they were confused, they were reintroduced to Jesus as the glorified Son of God. Maybe, maybe, maybe Jesus wants to reintroduce Himself to us in this season. Maybe Jesus is tired of the box that I've had Him in, and the only way to get me to ask the right questions is to let me sit in some confusion long enough until I say, Jesus, what are you doing? This is my beloved Son. Listen to Him. I only got two major points I want to share with you this morning. Number one, you say, what are we going to do? Number one, here's what I'm going to suggest. And I hope you can hear this with fresh ears this morning. Number one, we're going to radically reorient our lives around Jesus. We're going to radically reorient our lives. Now, the word radical doesn't mean like you do it like a, what you paint your face, you know, with, with like you're going to the Buffalo Bills football game, you know, in six degree weather and you paint your face. No, that's not what radical means. Radical just means rooted. So, uh, from, from a rooted place, we are going to reorient our lives around Jesus. We are going to recenter our lives around Jesus. Jesus. This is pictured in the Bible in so many ways, but one of the ways I want to draw your attention to is Adam in the garden is in the garden that God has created for him. But one of the things that we often miss is that in the midst of the garden, in the middle of the garden, like that table right there, the Bible says the tree of life was in the midst of the garden. And so here's the principle. The principle is that God's life is always in the middle. God wants to be in the middle of your life. God does not want to be on the periphery of your life. Jesus does not want to be an add-on to your life. We have to get delivered once and for all from thinking that Jesus has some role to play that has to do with where I go when I die, but I'll live my life. No, I want to tell you, wherever you spend Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Jesus wants to be in the middle of that. 
He wants to be in the middle. He doesn't want to just be at your 6 a.m. quiet time with your worship music play. Jesus wants to be there at 1 p.m. when it's all going nuts. He wants to be in the middle of your life because the life of God is always in the middle. And guess what that means? That means I'm not in the middle. If the tree was in the middle of the garden, that tells me that Adam was not in the middle of the garden. Adam was to circle and circumvent himself around the life of God and find his groove and his orbit in a way that he could constantly keep his eye on the life of God in the middle of the garden. And as long as he did that, he would be fruitful. He would flourish. But if he ever tried to move the life of God out of the middle and get in there himself, or put something else there, then his life gets out of rhythm. And Jesus is leading his disciples by saying to them, you're going to have to become experts at keeping me in the middle of your life. I'm going to do some things that surprise you. I'm going to do some things that catch you off guard. I'm going to go to some people's houses that you didn't think I would go to. And I'm going to have some meals with some people that you didn't expect me to have them with. And I'm going to show up in some people's lives in some places you didn't expect me to do. But your job is to keep me in the middle. If a pandemic comes and shuts your business down and shuts your schools down and messes you all up, what is your job? I'm a follower of Jesus. I keep him in the middle. All I do is every day of my life, keep Jesus in the middle. We sing and say, Jesus at the center. I want you to do more than sing it. I want you every hour of every day to say, Jesus, stay. Please don't let me let you get out of the center of my life. You see, we've relegated Jesus to Sunday mornings and worship services and prayer times and and special devotional times, but I want you to let Jesus jump out of that box and get in the middle of your day, wherever you work and whatever you do. He's not afraid. He is the Holy One, what? In the midst of thee. He's in the midst. Are you with me? So we got to reorient our lives around Jesus. What would happen if Christians, let's just talk about the gate church. What would happen if gate church people had the reputation of being people who just radically reorient our lives around Jesus? <clears throat> That's what we're known for. That's them Jesus people. They're always talking about Jesus. They're always thinking about Jesus. They're always looking for Jesus. And, and you know what? The, the amazing thing to me about the people in the Gospels is that they weren't ever really weird. Like even in the book of Acts, it wasn't like the people were weird. They just were Jesus people. And they got this name called Jesus people. And then, and then somewhere down the road, they got this new name called Christian. And the people started calling them Christians. And I want to talk to you about that for a minute this morning because we have to be careful when I say I want us to reorient our lives radically around Jesus. Here's the danger of that, is that there's several hundred people here in the auditorium, and that means that there are several hundred ideas about what it means to reorient your life around Jesus. Y'all doing all right? We're going to go a little deeper this morning, okay? So number two, here's what I want to, I want to help you. Make sure that we let Jesus define what that means. And I want to say, number two, we want to reorient our lives around Jesus' teachings. Here's a novel idea. Why don't we let Jesus tell us what it means 
to radically reorient our lives around Jesus. So we want to say we want to be Jesus people who take Jesus and his teachings seriously. And so that means that we have to let the pure, straight Jesus and his teachings out of the gospel upend some ideas that we might have about what it means to be a Christian or a Jesus follower. And you say, well, I don't have any ideas that need to be upended about being a Jesus follower. Really? Well, let's do a little experiment, shall we? So most people that I know, um, when you say, what are you when you're talking about faith and religion, what would we respond? We would just say, I'm a Christian, right? Did you know that Jesus never used the word Christian? Did you know that he never told anybody how to become a Christian? Do you know he never called anybody to be a Christian? And he never led anybody in a prayer about becoming a Christian. Now, what are you saying? Everybody online, don't log off right now. Amen. (laughs) Hang in here with me, right? I already told you, Christian's in the Bible. What I'm saying to you is that Jesus had a paradigm in the Gospels and in his life that we need to recover. Because what we've done is we've said, here's what a Christian is. And this is sociologically and historically proven through lots of surveys I won't bore you with. But basically, there are three things that constitute a Christian in the whole cultural, historical narrative, that moment that we're living in. And that is someone who believes that Jesus is divine, that he's the Son of God. How many can say amen to that? You fit that? I'm not trying to trick you right now. All right. It's also also somebody who believes that Jesus' death brings salvation to them. Amen. Can you say amen to that? Don't be afraid. Amen. So, and it is also, hold on, let me get number three. I can't remember what it is. It's really important though, I'm sure. That Jesus has died for the sins of the world. That's number two. And they believe that faith in this doctrine is necessary to gain salvation. Amen. Now, let me show you. There's nothing wrong about any of that. All right. I'm going I'm to take a couple different angles of this, and then, and then we'll get ready to close. But I, I want to help you learn something. Here's the thing. All of the ways that we really define and understand what it means to be a Christian essentially come down to this, that we believe the right things about Jesus. That's what it comes down to, Right? But do you know that Jesus actually never focused on or emphasized making sure that people believed the right things about him? Jesus made it a whole lot more simple than that. And he just said, hey, you want to be my disciple? Follow me. That's what he did. Jesus never looked at anybody and said, hey, if you believe the right things about me, I'll make sure that you get into heaven when you die. He didn't do that. So we have this idea that we've come up with that is what I call the, the, the gospel of the minimum requirement, which is like, what do I have to do to get into heaven when I die? And when you try to bring that kind of thinking to the Jesus of the gospels, there's no place to put that. There is no place. Jesus wasn't running around trying to give people little cards to say, make sure you do this, this, and this, and you say this, this, and this about me, and then when you get to heaven, I'll make sure you get in when you die. Jesus had no place for that. Jesus simply said, 
follow me. If you want to be my disciple, take up your cross, deny yourself, and follow me. No matter what it means, no matter how confusing it gets, keep me in the center and make my teachings the thing you build your life around. That is what it means. So I want to say to you that the word Christian, it can be hijacked by culture to mean lots of things. And let me give you a practical tip. Christian in the New Testament is always a noun. It's always a noun. It's always the people, Christian. That means it's like what somebody is. Chris is a Christian. We're good, right? Any English teachers in the building? Because that's a noun, right? He is a noun Christian. But if you'll notice in culture, Christian is not very often a noun. It's very, very often an adjective. So we have Christian music, we have Christian coffee shops, we have Christian bookstores, we have Christian concerts, we have Christian t-shirts, we have Christian bumper stickers, we have Christian businessmen, we have Christian moms, we have Christian dads, we have Christian plumbers, we have I mean, there's people with construction companies, and they have, and that, you know, I'm not making fun of that. I'm just saying it's all adjectives. We have, (laughs) y'all just pray for me right now. I love you with all my heart. Christian is a really great noun, and it's a really confusing adjective. So what we need to do is say, if I'm going to break through the disorientation and come into a re-rising, then what I'm going to have to do is I'm going to have to say, you know what, Christian can have all this cultural baggage with it. I'm not trying to do away with the word Christian. I am a Christian. Look at the camera. Bring the camera here. I am a Christian. I am a C. I am a C-H. I am a C-H-R-I-S-T-I-A-N. Some of y'all old school. Y'all know. Back in children's church, I have C-H-R-I-S-T and my H-E-A-R-T and I have L-O-V-E-E-T-E-N-I-L-L-Y. Y'all remember that, don't you? These guys don't remember that. They don't know what I'm talking about. Y'all doing okay? All I'm trying to do is simply say, what if rather than, here's, here's, here's the positive suggestion I have. So. Man, if somebody asks you if you're a Christian, say, yeah, I'm a Christian. But what does that mean to you? That means that today, today, January the 16th, 2020, I woke up and I said, Jesus, my life belongs to you and I want to follow you with all my heart. I want you in the center of my life and everywhere I go and everything I say, I want you to rule and reign over. My desire is to obey you. My desire is to reflect you to the world so that after I interact with people, they aren't really talking as much about Jay as they are about the Jesus in Jay. That's my desire. I wish that could happen. I hope that can happen. And I'm going to do my best to make that happen. And then it also means that on certain days when I'm like Peter, James, and John, and I'm heavy asleep, then I'm just going to say, you know what? My eyes are groggy. I have no idea what's going on. I don't know where Jesus is, but I am a Christian. I am a Christ follower. 
follower. I am a Jesus person, and I want to reorient my life around Jesus and his teachings. That means that if I have an opinion about anything, it will be most informed by what Jesus taught about that thing. Let's say that again. That means that to be a Christian means that if I have an opinion about anything, it will be most informed by what Jesus taught about that thing. And if you are not careful, you will find yourself judging things that people believe based on something Jesus taught because you're taking what Jesus taught and putting it into a cultural category that Jesus didn't even have in mind. When Jesus says this, I say, I'm with Jesus. When Jesus says that, I say, I'm with that. You say, what? are you? Are you a Republican? Are you a Democrat? I'm a Jesus person. I'm going with Jesus on that issue to the best of my ability. And Jesus doesn't print out how to vote forms and give them to us. He just gives us his teachings and we do our best. And you know what's crazy is that sometimes people have different ideas of what that looks like, but what needs to be the burning desire of our heart is not to fit into a category, but to faithfully follow Jesus and his teachings. Amen. Come on, worship team. I'm not finished, but I want you to come on anyway. Amen. Are you learning anything? Let me give you this. Let me give you this. This quote from somebody who's really impacted my life. Dallas, get that Dallas Willard quote ready. Dallas Willard said, the greatest issue for the world today is whether people who profess Christ will become disciples of Christ. If, I, if, if, if Pastor Kathy would have told me you got 60 seconds to preach your message, I'd have told him, put that, put that quote on the screen right there. And that's what I'm saying to you today. I'm saying that to reorient ourselves, and I, I felt such a burden in my heart this week for so many of us. You know, I've been on the phone all week, our pastoral team, with so many people in our church who are going through some of the most difficult times in their life, people who've lost their, their children and, and lost their parents, and lost their grandparents, um, lost their wives. They're, they're in a season that is just a pinpointed example of the season that we're all in together. And, and, and I, wanted, I want you to know I'm a, I'm a faith person. I'm, not, I'm a faith person because I believe in having faith. And I'm an optimist. Like, I'm, I'm always believing things are going to get better. And I do believe things are going to get better. But you know what I don't want us to do? I don't want us to act like the moment we're in isn't disorienting. Because the way for Jesus to lead us out of it begins with us getting honest with it and saying, man, this has been a difficult season for me. And I'm looking for Jesus, and I know he's going to lead me to better things, but I want to be honest about the fact that this is hard right now. And what I'm going through is difficult right now. And you know what? That doesn't mean you don't have faith. That just means you're deepening your desire to let Jesus find you, and you find Jesus in that disorienting moment. And that's how we position ourselves for reorientation or a rising again. You see, I believe for you in your life, I believe for you and your family, what God wants to do. Maybe you're on cloud nine right now and just tuck this message away and listen to it later if, if you are. But wherever you're at, I believe God wants to lead you to a whole rising of faith in him. And it doesn't happen 
by necessarily some powerful service. It just happens by something happening in our heart. I was, I was prepared, and I felt like the Lord just told me. He said, I said, God, how do I communicate this? What do I do? He said, just share what I'm putting in your heart. And this is what he told me. He said, you just share what I'm putting in your heart, and I'll do it in their heart. That's what the Holy Spirit said to me this week. He said, you just share it and I'll do something in their heart. So you know what? I don't have a lot of pressure on me this morning. I'm just sharing what God gave me and I'm gonna ask the Holy Spirit to do it in your heart. There's areas in my heart that need to be reoriented to Jesus and his teachings. I'm just letting you know right now, I'll be the first in line for this altar call, right? But guess what? In your life, all you have to do is say, Jesus, I'm willing. What, 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 I, what I had in my heart by faith is that many people today on this Sunday, you didn't expect this coming, but today you would make a commitment that 2022 would be a year that you got more serious than ever about making Jesus the center of your life, your life just revolving around Him. God, shape and form me, shape and form my attitudes, shape and form my thoughts, shape and form my desires, shape and form my marriage, shape and form my work life around the person of Jesus. I need Jesus at the center. So if you're here today and you're willing to do that with me, I want you to stand to your feet right now. Come on, the worship team's going to lead us. I want to pray for you in just a minute. But would you just orient your heart to the presence of Jesus this morning? Come on, let's lift our voice. Jesus, be the center of my life. Yes, Jesus, be the center of my life. From beginning to the end, it will always be. It's always been you, Jesus, Jesus, and nothing else matters. Nothing in this world will do. No, it's all about you, Jesus, Jesus. Jesus, you're the same. 
another 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 quote I just felt in my heart there's some people Dallas Willard said this he said there is no problem listen there is no problem that apprenticeship to Jesus cannot solve there is no problem in other words the, you know the world is full of problems the world your life is full of problems and there's not a single one of them that getting with Jesus can't solve. Jesus has never had somebody bring him a problem and say, man, I don't know what to do about that one. I, that's too much for me. Jesus will never say that to you. You know why our problems kill us? Because we don't bring them to Jesus. We take them everywhere else and we fix. And you know what society needs is to learn how to bring our problems to Jesus because technology and money can solve some things. But you know what technology and money haven't solved yet? Poverty, racism, hatred, division, divorce, anxiety, depression. Throw as much money and throw as much technology as you want at all those problems and they don't get better. But you bring those babies to Jesus and he says come here I know what's wrong with that come unto me all you who are weary and heavy laden I'll give you rest for your soul you're not hungry for more money or more security you're hungry for rest for your soul and the more we center our lives around Jesus the more our problems start to fall off of our lives so maybe you got problems maybe you don't but wherever you're at today if you do, I want to open up our prayer teams and our, our altars this morning. Just give you an opportunity as we get ready to conclude our service. But I really believe there's something from this message that's for everyone. Let me tell you how this week was for me. I began to feel the Lord giving me this message. And I began to prepare it. And then I preached it to myself and I repented and I went to the altar call and I said God help me and then that's how it was for me today because I believe there's something from the heart of God for each and every one of us here's what I believe the Holy Spirit wants you to know if you're online if you're here God wants your your 2022 this is an opportunity this is a moment hear me 
clearly this is a moment to get your life on track with Jesus to get your life in sync with Jesus to say God I've been out of kilter and out of rhythm but I want Jesus to be the pace setter of my life I want Jesus to be the conductor of my symphony I want Jesus to be the one who's calling the shots and I'm just simply gonna say and guys I preach from Peter because nobody got it more wrong than Peter but every time Peter got it wrong Jesus said come on Peter try it again get back in sync with me and I want you to know there's grace for you today to get in sync with Jesus to get oriented with Jesus so if you're here online today I want you to type in the chat right now ask somebody to pray with you ask somebody to minister to you say I'm getting my life oriented in sync with Jesus today if you're here in the building we want to pray with you up front this morning if you're not going to come down for prayer while Ashley and this team leaves sings before you go I want you to make sure that you've prayed a prayer to say God I'm taking you seriously I'm taking Jesus seriously I'm going to awaken from my slumber and I'm going to find you in a greater place of glory than I've seen you before I want to do it and it's not dependent on everything going on around me all that matters is the orientation of my heart so Lord that's our prayer today Lord I pray for your people and I bless them and as we sing and as we go Lord I know that you're going with us so bless your people strengthen them encourage them In the name of Jesus, amen. We love you, church.